Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore, and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. In the words of the reformer Martin Luther. Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts Rick and Patrick for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 34 of the Beers and Bible Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Patrick. And I am your other host, Rick. And we are happy to be with you tonight. Yes, um... Listeners, this is the first time any part of me has been out of the house today. <laughs> me being in your ear canals. <laughs> because we are still locked down from coronavirus. We are. We're, we're almost on lockdown. We're not on lockdown completely yet, but we're getting there. So, um, I know this will come out a couple of weeks from now, but um, we, our state is starting shelter in place tomorrow. Statewide mandate, so... Yikes. That'll be fun. The good news is that a liquor store is considered an essential business. Well, praise the Lord. So, I'll be able to stock up and we can continue doing our podcast. While I'm, Here's the I'm essential business. Out. I can buy toilet paper, ammunition, and liquor. That's all I need. <laughs> yep. So, but we hope, we hope that you're staying safe and clean and healthy and not Corona-y. Um, it is wherever a, you wherever you are. It's a proven fact that alcohol kills Corona. So everybody drink beer. That sounds That's, like one of those Trumpisms that no one should listen to. I just made that up. <laughs> like I said, it sounds like a Trumpism. No one should listen to <laughs> that man. Okay, not to get political, but I'm going to for a second. Do it. Uh, he has he has done a lot of good things in the last three and a half years, four years. But every time he opens his mouth, I'm like, what dumb thing are you going to say next? <laughs> Anytime he's in front of a microphone, I'm like, oh, gosh, this this should be bad. It's it's like watching Tiger King, but in reality. I haven't seen it. Dude, so Tiger King is apparently the new show to watch on Netflix. And so yeah, I literally so I sat down to watch quarantine and can't do anything <laughs> else. Didn't have anything so. else to do. So, so we get you know, stuck you know with what Tiger happened? King. You know what happened? One hipster found this weird, weird as you know what show on Netflix, and thought, you know what? I'm going to tell everyone they should, everyone I know they should watch it. And they only have the guy only has like seven followers on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. But all seven of them went and watched it, and then that's how it spread. I bet, I would bet five dollars. That's how it started. I would, I would not deny that. And I, so I turned it on and I watched like the first twenty minutes of the first episode. And that was all of it that I could take. I couldn't take any more. I turned it off. And is, it, is it as weird as I'm seeing it is? It is weirder. Okay, cool. Weirder. On a scale of one to the O.J. Simpson trial, how weird is it? Um, it makes the O.J. Simpson trial look like an episode of Full House. <laughs> oh. 
Well then, <laughs> yes. And and I, I only made it twenty minutes into the first episode, so there you go. And that, that's saying something if you only made it twenty minutes into something. <laughs> not, not to anyway. Hey Tiger King, if you're listening to this, I'm really sorry. I don't like your show. Uh, please don't have me killed. <laughs> Anywho, let's let's steer away from the Tiger King. <laughs> Let's get let's and, get to the beer we have tonight. What beer do we have tonight? So tonight we have from the um, Founders. Founders Brewing. Founders Brewing. They are based in uh, the brewery is in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh huh. Um, or Detroit. There's there's you, a couple of you know the last one that came out of Michigan that we did right. It's it's been a minute. It was Dragon's Milk. From uh, yeah, from New Holland, uh, Holland. New Holland. Holland, yes, and it was a porter as well. Yeah, so, so this is Michigan. Do you guys like your porters? Because apparently you do. So, so the website, the so the webpage doesn't actually have the name of it on it. So I'm having to pull it out of my thing here. Um, the oh, bottle says "Dark Porch and Sexy." Yeah, it's just the founders porter. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's the name of it. I was. Thought it would be something else, but um, just called Porter. Yeah, it's got like a, it's it's a dark label. It's in a bottle. It um, looks like it came from the 1800s. Yeah, it, it looks like something like I know you said 1800s, but something like Ben Franklin would drink. Yes, and I bet Ben Franklin would drink this if he was still alive. But uh, let's see. This is Grand a, Rapids, Michigan. We said that already. 6.5% ABV, 45 IBUs. Hey, when was yours bottled? Um, January 22nd, 2020. Dang, mine's a little older. Mine was on November 7th of 2019. That Yours is probably going to be better. I hope so. I hope mine's really good, honestly. The older it is, uh, the better it is, I think. I know it's that way yeah, with wine so, and whiskey. Well, we'll see if that is the case with beer. Um... <laughs> On the bottle, it says, pour silky black with a creamy tan head. The nose is sweet with strong chocolate and caramel malt presence. No absence of hops gives Founders Robust Porter the full flavor you deserve and expect. Cozy like velvet, it's a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> I guess it's the Robust Porter. They just don't have Robust anywhere on the label except for in the yeah. paragraph. There you go. I'll take it. I don't know, cap or nothing. Hey, this, but, I'm hoping this is going to be a great dessert beer. I'm really hoping that's what this is going to end up being. Speaking of dessert beer, um, so my wife stopped by and picked this up on the way home from work today, but she also found um, what has been our favorite beer that we've reviewed so far, and this is the first time either of us have been able to find it since we had it, the No Crust from Funky Buddha. I will not covet I will not covet. <laughs> I'm coveting packages right now. <laughs> we just need to meet, and I can bring you some. That would be amazing if if we were on lockdown. If we were on lockdown, <laughs> say if I if we could get out of our houses, but we're on. Lockdown. Hey, when this coronavirus thing blows over, we'll make we'll each do a road trip. There yes, down. Let's That's do it. Happen. <laughs> Let's do All it. All right, so I'm ready to drink some beer. Let's do um, it. Let's and crack let's these things open. Do it. Here we go. One, two, 
three, go. Mine wasn't nearly as loud as yours. I do like the smell. That smells like every porter we've ever had. It does. And it looks like, ooh. It looks dark, rich, and sexy, which is exactly what it said it was going to be. On... What say about the head? Creamy uh, tan head, I can confirm. Yes. So I'm still not, bat- I'm for sure not batting a thousand on pouring up. I've got to, but that is, a, that's a good looking beer. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Nice and dark. My glass was frosted when I took it out of the freezer, but it's no longer frosted. <laughs> Mine was the same way. I actually had a frosted one this week. Mistakes have been made. Yeah, look at that. Look at that little guy. Yeah, we've got some similar situation going on here. Yeah, we do. So, this is the the Porter from Founders, the Robust Porter. Mm-hmm. It has high hopes. Let's turn this thing up and see... Uh, See how it tastes because it smells good. Yeah. Had to have high, high hopes for a living. <laughs> nice. Here we go, Porter. Bottoms up. Another week that was nothing but foam. Mm. So. Let's see here. I like that a lot better than the last porter we had. Than the the dragon's milk, or did we have one? Since I liked then? it. A, I liked it. A, I, I liked it a lot better than dragon's milk. Honestly. Okay. Creamy tan head. Yes. The note is sweet. Confirmed. With a strong chocolate mm-hmm. and caramel malt presence. Confirmed. So, it, I mean, it's. I think it's pretty true to the to the taste. I actually. To me, I get a little bit of a coffee taste in there as well. Yeah, that not just chocolate I, and caramel. Yeah, when I first so my first sip was nothing but foam. Uh huh. Um, and at first I was like, this smells and tastes like coffee. Yes, that that was what I was experiencing. Um, I do definitely get the chocolate caramel thing yeah. that it says that should be there. This uh, which I don't, I don't know if chocolate and caramel is just when you combine those two things. That's what <laughs> coffee tastes like. <laughs> to me, it does because I put a lot of sugar in my coffee. Uh, we've been using like a chocolate caramel creamer for the last couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's a really good my creamer brain, you can put in coffee. Broken. <laughs> there's a really good creamer you can put in coffee, and it's called Kahlua. Okay. Really good. <laughs> That's all. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> don't don't drink it and go to work though. <laughs> do it. Do it while you're on quarantine. So, but, you want to uh, kick us off I'm, here? Kick us off yeah, on reviewing I'm, this thing. I'm really liking this one. Um, I'm looking back at our list to see when else we had a stout or not a stout a porter porter, but. I think Dragon's Milk, which on the sheet it says Dargan's Milk, because somebody, <laughs> somebody doesn't know how to type. That's me. <laughs> Dargan's Milk. Forever and always will be Dargan's Milk. But um, <laughs> this is a good one. Um, I'm, and I like this better than the Dragon's Milk, um, which I I think we both rated four and a half Luthers. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not going to be able to give this one a five though. Um, just be, and it's not a knock on it or anything. It's just I'm not a huge fan of porters myself. Fair enough. So um, I'm going to give it four and a half Luthers out of five, and uh, this is a good one if you're looking for a. It's definitely a stronger than your typical beer. It's yeah. got a, but it's much more, um, much more in your face kind of uh, flavor and that kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I can't quite give it a five, give it a five because porters aren't really my thing, but um, it's good. I'm I'm not disappointed. I'm I'm not unhappy. Um, it's it's a, it's a it's really good. It's a really good beer. It is. It is. So, what about you, there, Rick? So I'm gonna come in and I'm just I'm just gonna lay it out there first. Um, I'm also going to give this four and a half Luthers. Um. I'm not a huge Porter fan, but I, like, I really liked the Dragon's Milk. And I, like, this to me is, like, equal to the Dragon's Milk. It's equal, but it's, it's different. Like, it's equal in a different way, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, this is, like, I would probably only ever have one of these at a time. Um, because it's, it is really, really rich. Uh, the flavor is good, and it's not, like, overbearing. Like, Mm -hmm. I always, always poke fun at stouts and, and uh, a lot of times dark beers because I say it's like drinking motor oil and Guinness is kind of the one I always point to. I'm like, Guinness to me is like, I think I would rather drink motor oil than I would drink Guinness. Um, I've never had Guinness. So. I've, I had it once and I did not. I really didn't enjoy it. Like, I understand why people like it, but I just didn't enjoy it. So, um, it's Guinness is not like Corona or Natty Light for me where like I would rather pour it down the drain. Like if Guinness is all there is, I would probably drink it and just really sip on it really slow. Um, because it's just, to me, it's just heavy. Like you could literally, like to me, I could drink a Guinness and feel like I've eaten a full three course meal. Like it's just, yeah. there's just something about Guinness that's that way. This one is not so much that way. And that's the way Dragon's Milk was like, I can drink this. But I don't feel like, you know, I have a, a 12-ounce lead balloon in my stomach now. No, it's not a thick beer. Um, and it's, I don't know if this is a quality of porters or not, but I don't feel like it's super carbonated. No, it's it's not super carbonated. Although the head, and, and part of that is, is the head that releases when you pour it up. So, um, when you, you know, the more heads you have on a beer, the more carbonation is releasing. And so, mm-hmm. um, but the flavor is really good. The texture is really good. The, the, uh, I, I don't, I don't know what to call it. The depth. I don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's just not, it's not heavy. Um, so, so overall, this is a really good beer, but this yeah. is, this to me is a, is a very specific beer. It's kind of what I wanted out of it. It's a dessert beer. Like, this is something that I'm going to have one of after I've eaten a nice dinner. Like, you know, I hear about guys that, that'll do, they'll get a shot of brandy after they've eaten a, a really nice steak. You know, mm-hmm. I think I'd rather have this after, after a really nice steak than I would a shot of brandy. But, but, uh, but yeah, it's good and I like it. It's not quite a five to me. It doesn't have anything to me that is just like, bam, or like, man, I, I really have to have that, which is kind of a requirement for me on a five. I mean, last mm-hmm. week. What's funny is last week I did the. I gave the um, toasted lager from Blue Point. I gave it five, and I have yeah. like I think I've drank all of them since then. 
<laughs> because it was just, I mean, it was that good. Like I'll, I'll come home from work and I'm like, I want to go get one of those beers out of the fridge and drink it because it's, it was just mm-hmm. that good. It made me want to go get it. This one, if it's there, I'll drink it. I'll really enjoy it. It's good beer. So, so yeah, I'm going to come in at, at four and a half Luthers as well, which I mean, let's be honest, that's a respectable showing. It really is. Um, this is our first founders beer that we've done. And and to come in with two four and a halfs is it's a pretty good pretty good rating. So good work there, founders. Uh, good work on your porter. And unless you have anything else to add, then we will uh, we'll move along into J.I. Packer's concise theology. Nope, let's do it. Let's do it. back we're continuing on in packers concise theology and tonight we get to talk about every beer drinking christian's favorite topic liberty university (laughs) (laughs) oh oh wait we're both wrong it is liberty it's christian liberty christian liberty um and christian liberty is one of those things that that folks uh we we say that because we are in Christ, because we are in salvation, we have a specific liberty. Where Scripture speaks, we are authoritative. Where Scripture is silent, then we don't force the issue. Um, and and the case in point is is alcohol. Alcohol is one of those issues where Scripture is not necessarily silent, um, but it, there are there's no command to say, "Thou shalt not drink." Right. And so there, there has to be liberty in this, in this situation. And if you're, if you want to know our thoughts on this whole thing, we've already, uh, spelled it out for you. Go back and listen to episode number one and you'll hear, uh, every argument that we, that we come up with and, and why we feel the way that we feel that it is okay for Christians to drink alcohol in moderation. Um, obviously we, we do not condone drunkenness, uh, as that would be an abuse of liberty. Um, uh, but but uh, Packer defines or calls liberty um, that he says salvation brings freedom, and he points to Galatians five one, um, which Galatians is a great book, just overall in general book about uh, the law, and and really what we're going to talk about tonight, we're going to talk about legalism, we're going to talk about antinomianism, um, and and where the balance is between those two. Um, but he says, you know, if you've never read Galatians 5.1, it just says, uh, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And what Paul is getting at is is he's he's referring to the yoke of slavery that is that is bound in the law. And and when you talk about the Old Testament keeping of the law, um, God gave his people a specific law and told them to keep it. Uh, now this, this episode is not the time to dive into the threefold division of the law, but just know that there's, there's even that it, the law gets broken down into three different parts. Uh, you have the moral, you have the ceremonial, and then you have the civil parts of the law. And, and, and there, that's a, that's a whole other podcast. But 
really and truly the law is what exposes our sin to us. Mm-hmm. Our law is the law is what makes us realize that we are sinners. It, it exposes the the depravity, you know. And, and and I always think about like children. You know, you don't have to tell a child, you know, don't stick your finger in the in the electrical socket. Um, but the minute you say don't stick your finger in the electrical socket, what are they going to do? They're going to go get a knife out of the drawer and stick it in the electrical socket. <laughs> because that's what yep. the law does. The law said the law says. You can't do this. And so our natural inclination is to go, well, I'm going to go do that, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. that's what our sin nature is. And that's what, that's what Galatians five is saying. You're a slave to, you're a slave to that nature. Yeah. And so I, mean, I think, see, I mean, think back to like Adam and Eve in the garden, God told them, you know, you're free to eat from any tree in the entire garden, except for that one over there. Yeah, and it and, and and didn't matter that God had told them not to when the serpent said to Eve, "Did you know you should eat from that tree over there?" He was like, "Oh, okay, yeah." And, and I love so, the question that the serpent asked here in Genesis three. He's like, "Did God really say that?" You know, and it's it's it casts this doubt of, yeah, well, you know, I guess technically, <laughs> and that and yes, he did, Eve. <laughs> He, he did definitely say that, and if you just listened, we wouldn't have been in this whole mess. So, and Adam, where were you, bro? Come on, standing right behind her, eating yes. the apple, you idiot. Yeah, we've covered we've covered that. So we've covered that. Um, yeah, at length in time. So, um, we so we talk about you know liberty, and it's kind of it, you know it's interchangeable with the word freedom. Mm-hmm. Um so the, the Christian life, when, when you become a believer in Jesus, you're, you have a life that is one of liberty um, and that God freed us from the yoke of slavery for freedom. Yes. Um, he didn't free us, and we'll talk about this later, he didn't free us to um, just do whatever we want or to live in sin or, or um, live lives of... Uh, that are, that are not honoring to him, mm-hmm. but he freed us to live a life of freedom. Um, and, and, and the freedom that we have, there's, there's really three different, um, avenues of freedom or three different, I don't know how to describe it, but like three different, um, three different types of freedom yeah. that Packer lays out. Um, and the first is from, uh, we have freedom from the law as a system of salvation. Um, you, you talked about how, especially in Old Testament, the law, um, you follow the law in order to, um, you were slave to the law so that you could be free, which is kind of seems like a paradoxical it, understanding uh, of it. It is. And I mean, salvation is paradoxical. But but even Paul says, you know, you you throw off slavery to sin, and you put on mm-hmm. slavery to righteousness. So it's not about not becoming or, or not being a slave in total, but it's mm-hmm. it's simply about being a slave to the right thing. And and when you're a slave to the right thing, it doesn't feel like slavery. At that point, you know, it 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 changes your view of freedom. You know, we. We tend to think of freedom as, you know, the ability to do anything you want without consequence or 
uh, without recourse or anything like that's what we define freedom as because you know that's the American westernized view of freedom you know no mm-hmm. laws let's all be um, you know what's the what's the political view anarchy anarchism you know mm-hmm. there's no laws there's no rules there's no it's just everybody does what they want to do and that's the definition of freedom well no that's not the definition of freedom you know, freedom is you have the ability to act within a set of parameters that are that are well-defined and that have been ordered and structured because God ordered them and structured them that way. And then you, inside of that parameter, can, can work freely. That's what true freedom actually is. And so when you, when you talk about freedom being uh, uh, free from the law of salvation or, or freeing from the law of salvation as a system— uh, that's, I mean, that's exactly what it is because in the old Testament, you had to keep these things. You had to do this. You had to do that. You had to, you know, uh, sacrifice, um, blood had to be spilled. But again, going back to the person and work of Christ, Christ came and did all of that once and for all. That's what first Peter says. Christ died once mm-hmm. for sin. Uh, and so once he did that, that sacrifice was free, uh, freeing to us so that we don't have to live under that that law, that system anymore. Yeah. And, and so and, go ahead, go ahead. No, you, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and oh, we're going to leave that whole section in because that was funny. I love it when we both have a thought at the same time or when one of us is wrapping up a thought and then yeah, it's harder to do now that, now that we're doing everything remote. Yes. Um, it's harder to be like, Hold on a second, because I have a thought. But um, so, but you know, you know, the personal work of Jesus is where our freedom is found, and it's important to note that um, our freedom is not now or ever affected by or depend on what we do, yes, or how we live our life, or um, or the circumstances that we encounter, how we handle those. Um, but it also cannot be affected by our failures. Yes. Um, our freedom is always av- is once we become believers in Jesus, our freedom is always available for us. Yes. Um, if we get if we go wayward, if we um, I don't want to say turn our back on the faith because that, that's but I mean if you do and and you come back, like your freedom is still on the table. It's, God doesn't doesn't put something on the table and then ever take it off. Yeah. Well, once, it, once you once you accept it, he doesn't take it off. Exactly, and that goes to so so. This is this is where it's really really hard for us as humans. Ooh, excuse me, to say definitively, that just came up. Um, to say definitively, you know, yes, that person is going to heaven. Yes, that person is going to hell. Because all we really can do is say, based on their actions based on the way they live their life, I believe this person is going to hell, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or I'm sorry, going to heaven. It's kind of hard to, <laughs> I got really messed up on a lot of stuff. He's definitely going to hell. Um, but you know, uh, the, the reality of it is that the law at this point doesn't define our status as Christians. Whereas mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, it, I mean, it really did. The law defines your your status as a Jewish person, and this is why so many Jews found their their safety and their security in the law. And um, Christ came, and Christ basically said, you know, 
I have fulfilled the law. I have fulfilled what the prophet said. So it's not that that is gone. It's still there and it's still applicable to you as a guide and a system. You know, it's funny is even in the midst of this whole coronavirus thing, um, talking about something like liberty, you know, we have the liberty to go out if we want to, even, even if we're under a shelter in place, we can leave our house. You know, you might get arrested for it. You might, you know, depending on what your state is doing, something might happen to you. But we have that liberty to do that. The problem is when people abuse that liberty and and say that, you know, I'm going to I'm going to kick that liberty to the side or I'm going to do this in in uh, in the Old Testament in Leviticus. There's actually a time when uh, uh, Israel had to quarantine themselves because of an illness. And, and I think it's, it's pretty applicable for us today to realize that, you know, there was a time when, when, uh, Israel didn't do synagogue worship because of their quarantining. And, and I, I want to say it's like Leviticus 14. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but basically because of this sickness that was going around, God told them, Hey, stay away from each other for a little while. Let it pass, give it some time, and then come back together and convene. And and one of these things was uh, was explicitly given, and, and such an applicable time to think about this too. We're right up, we're coming right up onto the weeks of Passover and Easter. And actually, if I'm doing my math right, this releases the week after Easter, I think. Um, yeah, because Easter will be yeah. Easter so the- so there's a provision yeah. in Leviticus. That said, you know, because they even ask the question, they're like, what if somebody is defiled, either unknowingly or knowingly, that, you know, they don't have a, they don't really have a choice, but they're defiled, and they're not able to keep Passover. They they get provisions in the book of Leviticus that says, if you're defiled, if you're unable to keep Passover, you wait, you wait four, four weeks, you do it the next month, and, and you observe Passover the next month. So, even in the time where, where we are right now, where most churches are coming up on uh, the celebration of Passover and the celebration of Easter, uh, there's provision in Scripture that says, hey, if you're unclean, if you can't go out with being sick, without being sick, just wait a month and do it then. Scripture actually gives you that provision. How great is that? Mm. You know? <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, I, I, I see all of these people that are, that are upset because, oh, our church isn't going to be able to worship on Easter. It's not going to be able to worship or do Passover or whatever. And, and they're all upset. I'm like, but you don't realize that scripture's already addressed that, you know, it's already yeah, given yeah. you that. And, and so that's where our, that's where this freedom is, mm-hmm. you know, it's I mean, the, the time to celebrate Passover and Easter and Good Friday and all that, like the date you celebrate it is arbitrary. It could be April 12th or it could be in May or October. I mean, like when you celebrate it shouldn't matter. Yeah. Like, like, it, like if it gets put, if it gets pushed back far enough, like your church should be able to come together and celebrate it. Yeah, whenever whenever churches get back together and are able to meet corporately together, which I hope is very soon, you know, let's let's just make it. Let's say, you know what, that's going to be Easter. We're going to celebrate the risen Christ because realistically, every Sunday should be kind of mm-hmm. like an Easter Sunday. I know we kind of devote one to doing it to putting an, an extra emphasis on it, but I mean. Every time the church gathers, they're celebrating the resurrection of Christ. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and and so and it's because of our liberty that, that 
you know, because of what Christ did that we have the freedom to do that. Um, so that's a, that's a huge, uh, rabbit trail on, on point number one. But the second point that, that Packer gets to, and it ties into this idea that, that we're not bound under the law. We're not bound under this. We're also as Christians, we're not bound to sin. We have been set free from the dominion of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and he points to John eight and he points to Romans six for these two, but because Christians have been supernaturally regenerated, we are made alive with Christ. We're made alive with our union with Christ. Uh, we have been brought from death to life is what Ephesians chapter two tells us. Um, we can rejoice in that freedom because we have that freedom from sin. We're not bound to our sin. And, and that's, you know, I, I, I talk to people and so many times they're like, you know, I struggle with this. I struggle with this. And I'm like, this because your mindset is on that. Your mindset is on that sin. You're, you're, you're really and truly, you're kind of mentally binding your mind to that sin. Let it go. You know, do your best Elsa impression. Let it go. Uh, mm-hmm. That, that is not who you are. If you have been, if you have become a child of God, then that is not who you are. Uh, and, and scripture tells you over and over that that's not who you are. And so you're no longer under this dominion of sin when you, when you talk about the freedom, the liberty that we have that is in Christ. What's the third point that Packer gives us? Um, yeah, he says that the, we are also free from uh, the superstition um, that treats uh, matter and physical pleasure as intrinsically evil. Um, this whole idea that like the pleasures of the flesh or um, to enjoy anything really um, is evil, and you know we're free from that idea. We're free from you know having to say, oh, we're not going to live luxurious, luxurious life, or um, it's not to pursue those things by any means. We're not to pursue money or possessions or mm-hmm. or whatever, but we're also not to just cast those things to the side. If God blesses you, then by all means, use, you know, use your blessings as an opportunity to honor and glorify God. Yeah. Um, Paul, Paul insisted that uh, we as believers are free to enjoy um, all the things that God has given us, um, as, and we're to enjoy them as good gifts. Um, he created all things. He created all the pleasures that all the things that he created yields. Um, as long as when we partake of those pleasures, um, we don't step all over the moral law. Yeah. As we're enjoying them, you know, having a beer with dinner or consuming alcohol, like having a glass of wine if you drink wine, you weirdo. Um, <laughs> Weirdos. But if you but, but if you drink wine or drink a beer or whatever, like having one of those is not, you know, you're not pursuing drunkenness. You're, God's not surprised that you know people took grapes and made them into wine. Like God, yeah, that was part like kind of funny to think about. But part of God's plan, yeah, was for man to take natural things and can convert them into alcohol yeah yeah like if, if we say that god if, if we say that every single thing that happens is part of god's plan then that is also part of god's plan yeah yeah and and the re, the reality is you know uh, specifically now I, i'm going to speak specifically about alcohol so so 
don't don't take this to to include various other things but when you say that alcohol is evil and and bad there's nothing good that can come from alcohol when you say things like that you are essentially insulting the creation of god because mm-hmm. alcohol is part of the natural creation it's and and this is where i say don't 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 take this argument to places where i'm not taking the argument i'm not talking about synthesized drugs um i'm not talking about synthetic drugs or things like that i mean things that that are not part of you know could not be made by nature okay right alcohol for the most part is is made organically it's made from things in nature okay so so to say that something if you're going to call that evil then you're going to call part of god's creation evil and that means you don't hold to the sufficiency of Scripture because Genesis 1 tells us that all of creation was good. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was very good. And so, yeah. so you know, if you're, if you're going to make the argument, then at least be consistent and say, well, if I'm going to hold to this argument, then I'm going to hold to the insufficiency of Scripture. You're mm-hmm. more than welcome to say, you have the liberty to say, you know what? Alcohol was created and it is good but it is not for me. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't go against any biblical directive. And so, you know, the, the, the abstinence crowd, the crowd that says, you know, we, I think we would call them teetotalers. The folks who say no alcohol at all, you have a right to hold that opinion, but don't say that your opinion is the most biblical opinion. Because you're, it's it's really not. You can say right. it's it's not for me, and that is perfectly fine. But to say that the Bible says that you shouldn't drink alcohol is biblically wrong. And so, so you're holding somebody, and and that is where we're gonna where it actually sidesteps. It gets us right into the very next thing. The outflow of liberty really leads to two different kind of polarizations. The first one of those is legalism. Mm -hmm. And so um, for the folks who say, you know, well, you can't have that liberty because because it's wrong. You're going into legalism. You're going into things that say the law is all that matters. And if you don't follow the law, if you don't do exactly like this says, and and realistically, it's not the biblical mandate. It's your interpretation of the biblical mandate most of the time. Um, you end up in this, in this idea of legalism and Packer calls legalism working for God's favor. And that, and that's, that's exactly what it is. You have to do certain things in order to get God's favor. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you you were saying, you know, legalism is your interpretation of God's law. I would take it a step further and even say that it's a, like an, an elevation of tradition to the point, like to where it's equal with God's law. Oh, absolutely. Where where you're living, you know, where if church looks a certain way, or you say a certain, you say the certain things, or sing the certain songs, or whatever it is, or you don't do X because you've never done X because mm-hmm. only bad people do X, or only sinners do X. Yeah. However you want to put that. Yeah. Um, like I would, I would say that elevating those things to the point of like, you know, it's. It's in. I guess I think we'll get into this late a little bit later, but it's like the law, and then also all this other stuff. Yeah, it's it's essentially and, and, and 
reverting back to Roman Catholicism is what it's doing. Because yeah. it, was, it was the Roman Catholic Church that said you have the they have they call it the three uh, the three pillars I think is what they call it the three pillars or they they always use the example of a stool and they say that a stool has three legs and those three legs are the first one is scripture and then the second one is the magisterium so you got the priesthood the hierarchy of the church and the third one is tradition so in the Roman Catholic Church all three of those hold equal authority. And that's when Martin Luther came in and was like, no, 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 that's not right. Scripture right. has to be set apart and be the only authority. And everything that comes from Scripture has to affect the tradition and has to affect the magisterium. It doesn't, it doesn't negate the tradition and it doesn't negate the magisterium. But what it does is Scripture should be the one that's empowering tradition and it is empowering magisterium. Uh, right. And so, so you end up with this instead of... That's where you get sola scriptura from. Sola scriptura doesn't mean we only read the Bible and nothing else. Sola scriptura means the Bible is the ultimate end-all authority when it comes to the revealed nature of God. Yeah, it's just where we're it's where we're pulling our authority from when we read. I mean, for reading other books or something, but they don't necessarily line up with Scripture. Or yeah, if they do line up with Scripture, like we're we're finding those we're finding those. Um, connections with what we're reading to scripture exactly. and saying that you know this book does line up versus this book doesn't line up and discerning for ourselves mm -hmm. and ultimately I mean and ultimately that's what that's what part of the being part of being a Christian is about is figuring out for yourself what is and what isn't yeah you know it's you know you you Yes, you want people to pour into your life, and yes, you want your Pauls and your Timothys, and yes, you want, you know, to be in groups and be under good Bible preaching, but if you're not doing some of that stuff on your own, then you're really not, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yes. You're, you're not pursuing Jesus with all of your heart, and if you're not going after him, you're finding, trying to learn as much as you can about him on your own. I, I don't know what to. I don't really know what to say. To say, um, well, I mean, about what you're. Is, so. Yeah, what you're doing is you're you're trying to fit your version of Christianity into somebody else's worldview. Um, yeah, you know that, that's what you're trying to do, which is which is an aspect of legalism. You're trying to say, well, I'm going to conform to this version of it. You know, I mm -hmm. I always tell people, you know, read things read stuff that you disagree with because if all you do is read things you agree with you're becoming an echo chamber you know right. read things that you disagree with so that you can understand the other person's point of view there's an entire possibility that you might be wrong you know there's certain things that are orthodox that we that we would call you know your kind of base level orthodoxy um mm -hmm. i would say you know i would agree with with guys like al moeller that say um, you know, your basic test for orthodoxy can be found in the Apostles' Creed. You can believe more than the Apostles' Creed, but you can't believe anything less than the Apostles' Creed. So, you know, let's look at where the Apostles' Creed goes. It doesn't talk about alcoholism. It doesn't talk about uh, idolatry. It doesn't really, you know, there, there's a lot of things in the Apostles' Creed that it doesn't talk about. It, but what it does talk about is you got to believe in the virgin birth. You have to believe in the divinity of Christ. You have to believe in... And so there's certain things that we would say, okay, this is a test of orthodoxy. 
you know, do you believe that Jesus was God in the flesh and that he died and was buried and was raised three days later and that he ascended into heaven um, and that he's coming again? You know, do you believe these core tenets? That's the foundation. If and, and you can you can surely believe more than that. You can believe that alcohol is okay. You can also believe, you know what, alcohol is not okay. That's perfectly right, but you have to have liberty in those things. And if you don't have liberty, then you're going to get into legalism. Legalism right. says you have to do it my way. If you don't do it my right. way, then you're not a Christian. And that and that's the I mean that's kind of the foundation of legalism. And the only things that we as Christians need to be legalistic about are things that are tests of orthodoxy. That's you know that's where we draw the line. And and more and more these days we're seeing where society is continuing to bombard Christianity with tests of orthodoxy. Um, now, if you don't adhere to the belief of this new uh, sexual revolution, then then you're all of a sudden on the wrong side of history, and you're anti-gay, and you're anti-this, and, you're, and all you're doing is affirming what Christians have believed for 2,000 plus years. You're affirming biblical Christianity. And, and, and so we're getting to a point where we are going to be tested on our orthodoxy. Um, so, you know, let's not be legalistic about things that are not necessarily baseline orthodoxy. Let's, let's be legalistic mm-hmm. about those things, baseline orthodoxy, but not the liberty, the things that, are, that involve liberty. Yeah. Um, there was, there was an article, uh, and I'll, uh, I'll keep bringing him up, but there was an article years ago that, that Al Mohler wrote called, um, the, the art of, I think he called it the art of spiritual triage. And he compared it to a hospital. Um, and he said, he essentially said, you know, when, when a, in a triage unit in a hospital, they look at everyone and they determine who is the most critical. Uh, who's the person that's going to die the fastest? That's, that's like the point of triage. You know, mm-hmm. you've got the sniffles. You're good. You've got a broken arm. Okay, let's, let's, put, let's ramp you up a little bit. Holy cow, you're missing a leg and an arm. You're number one. Let's get you in. <laughs> you know, that... And they assess based off of this this idea called triage, and and he he said you know as Christians what we need to do is we need to almost look at we need to triage our orthodoxy we need to triage our doctrine what is the most essential doctrine what is if you do away with this you're probably gonna you're you're gonna be outside of the bounds of biblical Christianity, um, and and what are the things that don't matter, you know and yeah. and. It's an it's an encouragement, and I'm not going to lay it all out right here because I have my belief, and and we can discuss all of these things later. But it, yeah. it gets us away from the discussion of legalism. But legalism was really a foundational thing for for folks like the Pharisees and the Judaizers, mm-hmm. and you know yeah. the Pharisees really kicked it into into gear. On you had to be exactly like them. The Judaizers kind of included the Greeks, but they said we you can you can accept Christ but you still have to do all of these Jewish things you have to be mm-hmm. like you still have to be like us and that's where they brought in this this ceremonial aspect of the law yeah. is is saying that yeah. you had to be like a Jew yeah and you know you know anytime we talk about the Pharisees and the Judaizers remember like the Pharisees are the New Testament bad guys yes <laughs> um, they're ultimately they're they're not the good guys but but Jesus spent a lot of his you know when he wasn't ministering to the people the Pharisees wouldn't hang out with he was attacking the Pharisees on a lot of this stuff he was calling them out and saying 
look, you guys are focused on the wrong stuff. You guys are, um, Packer put it, they were majoring in minor, minor concepts. Um, they were, uh, I don't understand this word, but I wrote it down anyway. Um, they were uh, negating the law of spirit and aim with their casuistry. Causistry. What's causistry? Uh, it's the, it's when you say something's causistic, it causes this. So you have to obey the law, the law in order to cause your salvation. It's, it's well, okay. a, it's a form of, I mean, it's, it's a form of legalism, which is why it's in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that makes sense. So I should have looked it up. That's a laziness on my part, but anyway, oh, well. <laughs> um, but you know, the Pharisees also, they treated traditions of practice as part of God's law, which is what we talked about a little, a little bit earlier. And then they were also like, they were hypocritical at heart from, you know, and Jesus could see that because he knows mm -hmm. the, uh, intentions of every yeah. person's heart. Um, if you don't believe then, that, then uh, go read the book of John. <laughs> yes. So do that. Um, and then, you know, you talked about the Judaizers. Paul spent a lot of time, especially in Galatians and Colossians, um, calling out the Judaizers, saying, you know, in Galatians, you were saying that he, the, uh, sorry, in Galatians, um, Paul said, you know, the Judaizers are preaching this Christ plus this message. Yeah. Um, and Paul called that, called the message obscuring and denying of the all-sufficiency of grace that, is found in Christ. Um, bless you. Thank you. I think. Um, <laughs> and then in Colossians, uh, Paul writes a similar message that iterate, reiterates that any anything outside of Christ that requires us to take action um, in order to add to what his, Christ has given us reverts us back to legalism and, yeah. and, is, and is ultimately and maybe heartbreakingly an insult to Jesus. Yes. Like to say that his life, death, burial, resurrection isn't enough and that we got to do, you have to trust in Jesus. Yes. But also do all this yes. list of other stuff over here is an insult to yeah. Christ. To his blood. Christ didn't say you have to believe in me and do all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So to do that is to insult the person who gives you the gift, you know, yeah. If if somebody if if I give you a gift and I say you know what I'm going to give you a hundred thousand uh, dollars, and you say man I accept your hundred thousand dollars and in order to earn this I'm going to go build a house and I'm going to go clean your cars and I'm going to go do this and I'm going to no you're that that means you're not accepting my gift you're saying that you have to do something to earn this gift mm -hmm. that I've given you yeah just accept the gift that's that's what we're asking we're. And, mm -hmm. and that's where, you know, that's where Christ is, is, is he is, he is there. And this is the, the constant, uh, picture that we get from the gospel of John is, is Christ is there saying, Hey, John, or John is there presenting us saying, Hey, here's Christ. You, you either accept him or you reject him. You accept his, his story or you accept his life or you reject it. That's, that's the two mm -hmm. options. Um, you know, yeah. there's, there's nothing in this story that is Christ plus there's nothing in this story that is, you have to get yourself together and, 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 and I may rabbit trail here for a second, but again, churches, this is where we need to be very, very clear with people. You don't get yourself together to go to church. If, you know, yeah. Jesus told the Pharisees, if sick people didn't need a doctor, you know, 
or if they weren't sick, they wouldn't need a doctor, but they're sick. Mm -hmm. They don't have to get well to go see a doctor. That's, that's ludicrous. And so stop expecting people to have their life together. Stop looking at people when they come into your church and they look like they just, they, because they probably did left a bar on a Saturday night and came into your church on a Sunday morning because they're so Mm -hmm. drunk. They don't know where they're going. Love that person. Mm-hmm. show them the love of Christ. You know, I realize that drunkenness is a sin and what they were doing is a sin, but there's no reason for churches to look at those types of people and say, well, they need to get their life together because yeah. here's the reality. If Christ wouldn't have intervened in your life, you'd be no better than that person. And the reality is you're probably not any better than that person anyway. Yeah. And I think, you know, part, part of the problem is the church is, is in general, doesn't do a great job of teaching teaching the teaching that we are to love people who are not like us i mean they say that but they how, how do you do that yeah it's a different story but also i think that there's a lot of believers and well-meaning people in the church who live their life as if it is jesus plus something yeah yeah whereas jesus plus go to church or jesus yeah. plus give or jesus plus teach a sunday school class yeah. or or serve in the church in some capacity. I think there's a, how freeing would it be if our church really grasped the idea, not, not like an individual church, but the church as a whole mm-hmm. grasp the idea that it, the freedom from legalism that we have is found in, in Jesus and only in Jesus. Yeah. And that there's nothing, nothing we do that frees us anymore or, nothing we you know when we fail there's nothing that like um is there is a safety bound (laughs) yeah there's not there's nothing that makes us bound and says oh you're not good enough like like if if you fail you're still free like you're free to go serve repent and go serve like yeah but I, i feel like i feel like there's a lot of people in our churches that live their life as if it is jesus plus something oh yeah they're functional legalists a lot of people are, are functional legalists, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um. And and you know, you you can. It's really easy to go to church and say you believe a certain thing and and put on the face. It's really easy to do that. And our mm-hmm. Western culture has made it almost a necessity to do that. You know, we we have put it up to say, you know. You have to have all your stuff together before you go to church. You have to have your life together. I, you know, how many times have you heard somebody say, well, I got to get my life together before I go back to church. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to straighten myself out and then I'll go back to church. No, the point is you go back to church and let the church be the church and help you straighten your life out. That's what, I mean, that's what we should be doing as Christians. That's what the church should be doing on a daily basis. And, mm-hmm. and because the church has gotten into this, mindset of legalism we we have destroyed the witness that we have in the world around us because of our mindset of legalism and 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 we don't you know we don't think we're being that but but the reality is we are because we tell people no you have to do a b and c before you can do this you have to do you know we we can't just love people and go man that that's a great idea let's walk through this in scripture and see what scripture says about it. Or, or let's, you know, let's do this. Let's do that. We instantly say, well, that's awesome. You're going to have to do all A, B, C, D, and E before mm-hmm. you, before you can do that. 
and yeah. and so you know we treat people and and I'll, I you know I often think about parents and kids you know I, I'm guilty of this when I I get onto my child and I'm like why don't you think this way and I'm like oh wait you're a two year old you can't think like a twenty six year old. <laughs> You can't think like an, an 18 year old, you know, because you're a two year old. And, right. and so I have to constantly remind myself that man, realistically dealing with unbelievers is like dealing with two year old children. They don't understand the, mm-hmm. the, the worldview of biblical Christianity. So what it's my job as a Christian is to come alongside them and say, here's, here's what we believe. Here's why we believe it. This is why things like apologetics is, are so important. Apologetics is not arguing with people. Apologetics really and truly is taking people through scripture. It's discipleship. It's basic discipleship and saying, here's what we believe. Here's the reason we believe it. Here's scripture to support all of these things that we believe. And and you walk them through and you help people understand why they believe what they believe. Um, so that you can do the command of First Peter 3.15 and give an answer for the hope that is within you. Um, but, but on the flip side of legalism, if you're if you're not a legalist, the alternative is to go into antinomianism. And antinomianism is a one of my favorite words in all of language. In all of language. <laughs> in all of, all of language. That's a, that's a wide stroke. <laughs> because well, it's so it comes from the why is that? Because it comes from the the way that the word is built. Uh, so you have this word anti, which obviously means against, and then you mm-hmm. have uh, namos or nomi, uh, nomi in the Latin, namos in the Greek, and that simply refers to the law. So it literally means anti-law, and and so it is the opposite of legalism, and this is this is almost I would I would argue it's just as bad, possibly even worse than being a legalist. Mm-hmm. Um, because this says it doesn't matter what you do. This is this is the Christian that says, you know what? It's all good, bro. It doesn't matter if you go get drunk or, or high and get stoned and have sex with all these people. None of that matters because the grace of God. And and that that is just as bad an insult to the grace of God as legalism mm-hmm. is to the person and work of Christ. Right. And so both of them defile the glory of God, and that's why, as Christians, we have to find the balance in between the two, and that balance is found in the very first topic we talked about in liberty. Understanding what other people believe, understanding why they believe what they believe, and then saying, you know, I disagree with you, but we have room inside of Scripture to disagree, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know? So let's do, let's do talk a little bit about antinomianism. What antinomianism actually is? Take us yeah. take us a little bit into what what verse does John or does Packer give us for for antinomianism? Um, so uh, antinomianism is just this idea that we are not set free to sin. Um, there's this quite great quote, and I don't remember where I heard it, but it says that um, Jesus didn't free us. Uh, Jesus freed us from our sin. He didn't give us freedom to sin. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget where I heard that, but I'll look for it. Um, but the verse uh, Packer gives us is First John 3, 7. says, uh, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He, do, he who does what is right is righteous, just as he, that being Jesus, is righteous. 
um, in the, I think antinomianism, I'm going to mispronounce that like three <laughs> times, um, is, it's, can really be this umbrella term for a lot of different uh, views um, that deny the law of God um, that Scripture has in, within Scripture, um, and, and you know, they, it denies that God's law should directly control or impact our life. Should be the the foundation for how we interact with others, how we work, how we worship, how we treat our spouse and our mm-hmm. family, um, how we live our life. So, yeah. um, and there's. Uh, Packer gives us, I think, five, six, gives us six different um, types of antinomianism. Um, the first one being uh, dualistic, and we're not, I guess we can just go through these kind of quickly. Yeah. Um, um, but this dualistic antinomianism sees salvation as for the soul only. Mm-hmm. So when you accept Jesus, your soul is saved, and that what you do with your body doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's irrelevant to um, God's interest and also to the health of your soul. Yeah. Um, and so that you can do whatever you want. You're you're free to sin. You can go, you know, get drunk every night and mm-hmm. do all the things that, you know, lost sinning people do. So, um but it's this idea that once you accept Jesus, what you do doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. And and if you if you think that is the case, then I would strongly urge you to read the New Testament over again. Um, because if what we did didn't matter, then why would we even have the instruction of the New Testament? You know, yeah. why would Paul write something close to thirteen different books of the New Testament to say, hey? Here's how you need to operate. Here's how churches should work. Here's why you need pastors, elders, leaders, deacons. Mm-hmm. You know, here's some structure for the church. It's not going to be, it's not everything that you need, but this is at least enough to get you going. Um, you know, if, if, if that is true, then if, if this dualistic view of, of the law and grace is true, then we don't need the instruction of the New Testament. But First Timothy or 2 Timothy 3.16 says, no, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for correction, mm-hmm. rebuke, teaching. We have to learn these things. And and the reason we have to learn these things is because as our sin nature is still alive in us, we're, we're fighting the flesh. We, you know, we're, we're putting it to death. That's the process of sanctification that we talked about. As we're putting these things to death, we're mortifying our sin we're going to struggle between legalism and antinomianism and, and it's going to play itself out in, in a couple of different ways. The first one was dualistic. The second one is spirit centered. Um, and this Packer says about this one, he says, uh, the spirit centered puts such trust in the Holy spirit's inward prompting as to deny the need to be taught. And again, that, you know, this is a lot of these things that we're going to, to go through, are are really found heavily in one branch of Christianity. Um, and that branch is typically in your more charismatic, more Pentecostal styles of churches. Mm-hmm. They, they put so much emphasis on things like speaking in tongues and um, these outside influences, you know, being, they call it being slain in the spirit where you have to be knocked over and, and, and uh, 
if you're not doing if you're not getting these things it's almost it's a form of legalism uh, because they say if you're not getting these things you're not getting the grace of God and so you're not experiencing this grace of God um, and and so that was you know the spirit centered you know it, it kind of negates scripture and focuses on what did the spirit tell you to do let me tell you there's a cult that does this they're called the Jehovah's Witnesses and they ask you what do you feel burning in your heart is what they say you know do you feel mm-hmm. the burning in your heart um, it, it asks you to deny the the written revelation the truth of God revealed in scripture and trust your sin infested heart is what it, it asks you to do um, mm-hmm. you know and so uh, that's the spirit center what's the next one that we that Packer gives us um, the next one is the Christ centered antinomianism um, and this just argues that um, God sees no sin in believers because they are in Christ who kept the law for us. Um, we're in Christ who kept the law for us, and therefore what we do actually doesn't make a difference um, as long as we keep believing. And um, if you read First John, um, it, it, I mean, just read First John. Pretty much read all of First John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it shows that it's not possible to be in Christ and at the same time embrace sin as a way of life. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah. There's, there's no, there's no way that if you are truly a follower of Jesus, that when you sin, you feel okay about it. Yes. Yeah. And First John, and and I would add First Peter to that one as well, because First Peter's mm-hmm. so heavy on the on the concept of sanctification that that you know he he basically says, hey. You need to see these things in your life. You need to be learning and growing in your in your walk with Christ. And and if you're not, then you need to check yourself. Yeah. So the the next one is actually kind of fun. Um, and it's it is this this idea of dispensational. Now, when we talk about dispensational, it is a it is a system of reading the Bible. It's a specific system of reading the Bible that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, although I think some truths can be gleaned from it. Um, but this one, the dispensational one holds that keeping the moral law is at no stage necessary for Christians since we live under a dispensation of grace. Um, and so you have, you have this idea that we're, we're all under grace and because of this, we don't have to adhere to the moral law. And this is what, Honestly, I believe this is what leads to a lot of theological liberalism, because this is where it says, well, we don't necessarily have to hold to what Scripture says. Let's do what the culture says, because we're going to get grace from God anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's let's move to this this let's let's accept the theological idea that that homosexuality is okay, that um, you know adultery is okay, that that all you know you name it, whatever it is. Uh, premarital sex is okay. All of these things are there uh, because that's what that's what God has given us in in our culture, and so that has to be a good thing of grace because we're in the dispensation of grace. There is some other aspects of dispensation, but that's a very very small section of of dispensationalism, and I will I will grant that readily. Um, but it's the it's the way that they read the Bible. They read certain things so literally that they can't come to a different conclusion. And and it's text in the Bible that, you know, we talked about like parts of Proverbs that are not really meant to be read literally. 
you know, yeah. don't don't need to be interpreted literally. When it says that the ants have no, you know, hierarchy, you know, we don't have to interpret that literally. You know, we've observed that ants have one thing that's a queen. You know, the the whole point of the the proverb is not to point out ants. The whole point of the proverb is to think about your life as a as a believer and a follower of Christ, and you know, you don't have to have somebody telling you what to do all the time. Yeah. And so, so. Just because something is metaphorical doesn't mean we have to interpret it literally, and a lot of times that's what that's what dispensationals do. Um, what we don't have to interpret metaphors as literal? <laughs> Crazy. I've seen there's there's this thing going around, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen it on uh, Facebook, where someone has taken, and I don't think it's the same. I guess it is the same passage, but it's like in one passage of scripture, like a paragraph of it, and they've said like. Oh, these three things have happened in the last year, so obviously this is fulfilling prophecy. That when is, it, talks, it talks about, uh, they say that coronavirus is in here, is in the Bible, and a couple of, like the fires of Australia was another one. Yeah. Um, that is coming from dispensationalism, is, is where it's coming from. So, so when you, when you sent that, when you sent that back to me, with saying like friends don't let friends do dispensationalism, <laughs> which is a great, thing to look great uh, quote to live through your life by um i didn't know what it meant and now i understand it yes, so thank yes. you that was that was helpful so i'm glad i could um, help you <laughs> so um the next anti-nomianism that packard dives into is the dialectical or dialectical um make sure you pronounce that first c there um it denies that biblical law is god's direct command and affirms that the Bible's imperative statements trigger the word of the Spirit, which, when it comes, may or may not correspond to exactly what is written. Um, basically, basically, this is just like throwing the authority of Scripture out the window. Yeah. Well, saying like the Bible says this one thing, but the Spirit is telling something else. Yeah, there, there's this. This actually kind of ties in together with dispensationalism. Um, one of the one of the things one of the kind of aspects of dispensationalism that when, when somebody takes dispensationalism too far, um, mm-hmm. they end up in, in, in what they, what I like to call, and I don't know if anybody's ever coined this or not, but I call this Pauline authority. Um, they basically pit Paul against the rest of the entire Bible. And they say, if the, if something disagrees with Paul, then you go with Paul over whatever, the the other author says so a lot of times people will say james is disagreeing with paul well instead of saying no i believe that james and paul are saying the same things and you have to look at it from two completely different contexts dispensationalists say no james is wrong and you just have to listen to paul you can take james where he's right and you can listen to him where he's right but where he's wrong just disregard him if he disagrees with paul then then you go with paul and so instead of trying to uh, build a consistent view of scripture from beginning to end. They basically say, well, that's, eh, so just throw it out. That's questionable. So just throw it out. I've never heard of this and it's blowing my mind. It's crazy. That, it's crazy. And they go, people as are far saying that people are saying that if the Bible says, if anything in the Bible says something against what Paul says, then to agree with Paul. Yes. Like, and they, but, they even take it as far as to say, if Jesus disagrees with Paul, you go with Paul. 
and they say that the gospels have to be interpreted through the through through the lens of Paul. Who are these psychics? <laughs> they're dispensationalists, is what they are. <laughs> what I mean, is wrong with these people? They're they're they're, they're crazy. They're they're crazy. They really, I don't know any other way to put it. I really don't. Um, but but that's what they. I mean, that's what they believe. They believe that if Jesus disagrees with Paul, you go with Paul and you subvert the the what Jesus is saying to what Paul taught. That's and, nuts. And and I mean, uh, I think Paul would be the very first person to tell you. No, you don't listen to me. You listen to Jesus. <laughs> In fact, if you listen to anything I said, I'd be really surprised. Given my <laughs> track record, yeah, honestly, yeah. So, so it's dialectical is really just kind of a, a offshoot or another extension of dispensationalism. Um, but the last one is the situationist, um, and it says that the motive and intention of love is all that God requires from Christians. And, and again, this, a, a lot of these breed, uh, theological liberalism, you know, this is your, this is your free love, free hippies. Um, you know, all you have to do is love people and that's all that matters. And, and so, and obviously well, the way that ends up getting interpreted is if you disagree with somebody, you obviously don't love that person. And so, uh, loving people inevitably means you agree with whatever they say, you tell everybody they're right. Um, no, you know, if somebody disagrees with you, well then, you know, you just have to love them and say, well, you're right. So, okay. Um, and it's just, that's not what scripture calls us to do. It's not what scripture tells right. us. And, and I want to, as, as we kind of put a bow on this and we've gone really good tonight. So I hope you've enjoyed this discussion and hopefully had more than one beer. Um, I want to recommend a book. Um, that specifically deals with legalism. It deals with antinomianism, and it's a book called "The Whole Christ" by Sinclair Ferguson. Um, it's a it's a really good book, and and it's it's kind of tough to read occasionally. And and what I would do is I would encourage you to go watch a Sinclair Ferguson video first, because Sinclair Ferguson has this amazing Scottish accent, and if you read the book with a Scottish accent, it'll make a whole lot more sense. Um, at least that's what I try to tell myself, but, um, you know, as, as, as we've gone through this and I've, and, and I've, I've, we talked about this, that book, I've read that book recently and, and it just, it, it'll help you think through the ideas or these, these, these things of legalism and antinomianism. And, 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 you know, I just want to encourage all of our listeners, don't, don't don't tr don't let yourself get caught in one one way or the other. Do your best to stay, you know, balanced in the middle because that's I mean there are certain things that we need to be legalistic about. And then there are certain times when we need to have an extra amount of grace. And mm -hmm. so when you fall consistently to one side or the other, you know, check yourself. And that's where I say, read things that you disagree with, because that's going to expose your legalism and it's going to expose your tendency toward too much grace. And, 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 you know, I, I, I always think back when I think about doing, uh, or talking about the difference between legalism and grace, I always think about, uh, Jesus and the woman at the well, when they go through this whole conversation and he says to her, you know, I tell you that my worshipers are coming and they will worship in spirit and in truth. And, mm -hmm. and those two words really kind of encapsulate all that is legalism and antinomianism. And so it's not that they're going to worship in legalism in, in truth. Um, 
because though they will declare truth about God, that will not be all of their worship. They will also worship in spirit, which is in grace. And so if you don't have a good mixture of both of these in your life, if you tend toward one, find those areas, find people who can help you spot those areas, because this is part of the sanctification process that's going to continue to push us on to be better Christians, to represent Christ to the world. And that's what I have to say about that. Good word. (laughs) So, um, if, yeah, good word. That was, I literally have nothing to add. (laughs) Good. Again, I mean, yeah. So, um, if you would like to find us, if uh, you haven't found us on our social media platforms yet, Rick, where could our listeners do that? So, if you want to find us on Instagram, we're at beers and Bible underscore. And if we're on the Twitter, then we're at beers and Bible P1. And you can find us on Facebook by searching beers and Bible podcast. And then you can email us. All of the things that you don't like about our podcast to beers and Bible podcast at gmail.com. And those are the four ways that people can send us direct messages or tell us how much they love it or give us beer suggestions. Um, we're always looking for new beers. Maybe you know of somebody that, that we haven't been able to find and, and we will do our very best to find those people or those breweries. Um, but until next week, I think we are we are wrapped it up. How did you, how's your how's your founders? Is it still a four and a half for you? Yeah, it's still. I mean, it's long gone, but yes, yeah, it's minus still a four two. and a half. <laughs> minus two, and it, and it's a, it was enjoyable. Uh, so good work there on the Porter founders. Uh, we we enjoyed it, even from two guys who's who's uh, who readily admit that porters are not really our favorite. Uh, great job on this thing. It's uh, it earned four and a half Luthers from both of us. So mm-hmm. until next week, we want you to uh, stay away from the coronavirus. If we're still in quarantine when this comes out, then then keep yourself safe. Uh, do practice social distancing. And uh, if you have any questions about whether you're uh, uh, – if you have contracted coronavirus, just drink beer because beer fixes everything. So That's not an official <laughs> – stance if you think you have it go to the the hospital (laughs) i don't want anyone to get to blame us for their family member dying from coronavirus so yes go see your doctor go see your doctor and and then when you go into two weeks of quarantine you'll have plenty of podcasts to listen to so there you go until next week have a great one and we will see you later deuces If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast.